I just wanted you to know that uh, I've had the blessing of a few people come up to me and tell me yesterday they were praying for me. The reason why was I was scheduled originally to preach last night, but I specifically asked Brother Irwin if I could switch to tonight. Um, I think the Lord, Lord was laying on my heart a message um, that I thought was more appropriate for just me and my 800 closest friends, uh, the believers that are here, and those that are older and more mature. So this is a little more intimate setting, if you can call 800 people a set, an intimate setting. Um, but it's not, a, it's not a comfortable chat. It's been a, a heavy burden on my heart. And so I invite you to join with me to inviting the Lord into our presence. Almighty God, Lord, your children are gathered here at your feet. Just pray that your servant would not be an obstacle, that you could speak to every heart, not only in this building, but in the hearing of whatever media this ends up taking, being a part of, because you are not limited. Father, speak to us because we need to hear you at such a time as this. We pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, amen. As I said, the message was not a, a comfortable one. As I meditated on the fact that uh, where we are, when we are, where on the prophetic clock we are, we've just gone through a major worldwide, um, I know what you want to call it, our COVID trial that we went through. And I am confident, and I think I would be naive to think that we're done, that that was just a one-off, and uh, the, the things that have been set in place are not going to ramp up and have major implications for us as the body of Christ. <clears throat> so in some sense, I kind of feel like right now, I'm, it's like Joseph, we're in the seven good years. And the seven bad years are coming. And we know there are seven bad years coming, the likes of which the world has not seen. So we really need to take serious this opportunity to prepare ourselves. Let's read together the words of Jesus as he described um, those coming days that are found in the book of Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Begin reading from verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive Many, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, 
the same shall be saved. Notice the progression here. First, there's this deception that happens. And the deception enables iniquity to abound. We kind of heard in the woke forum about this sort of self-deception, this kind of redefining of sin so that we can kind of excuse every desire. And there's probably a whole lot more going on with that. And we, at the minimum, are exposed to a whole lot more evil than we were before. We become like Lot. Maybe our soul is vexed every day as we see the rainbows and everything else that is kind of encroaching and we see the name of Christ being blasphemed. We see his image being distorted. We see sin not only tolerated but celebrated and eventually we start to become dull to these things. It's sort of desensitized, which is a dangerous thing. And even more dangerous when we think it's no big deal, when these so accessible sin, something maybe just sitting in our pocket, starts to creep into our lives and starts to at least steal our time. The endless scroll we heard about. And at worst, poison our minds with the deception of the false prophet that wants us to question the Word of God, that wants us to get distracted at least and angry with the wrong things, and at worst, confused and maybe even start to promote and go along with the many lies. And so, the love of many can wax cold. I say this is a difficult message because I can relate to that. Having gone through COVID, you would think, and to some degree we we appreciate, I think the fact that we have a thousand people here this week is indication that at some level we really miss being together as brothers and sisters and the fellowship and the, the ability to worship God together and to be encouraged. But on the other hand, it was kind of convenient to not have some of those commitments, some of those pressures to stay at home, to turn on the Zoom, and to not really engage personally with the body of Christ at the same frequency. And it's been two years, and I have to say that I'm afraid we're not back yet. I'm still seeing some of that love waxing cold and some of the the hesitancy, the sort of a new normal for the commitment level, for what we think is okay, a new, new low in our prioritization of the kingdom, of his work, of his body, and comfort has sort of washed away some of the commitment. Because love is a commitment, right? If you really boil it down, when we talk about love, and you love your spouse, you're committing to that spouse. You're, no matter what, 
And love has that unconditional aspect to it, and it's got that, you know, I'm not going to let go. I'm, it's, 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 it's an irreversible decision. The, the word in the Psalm 37 has this idea of that I'm, I'm rolling this weight. It's used in other places in the Scripture as rolling a stone, but in the case of commit, I'm, I'm sort of putting all my weight and all... I'm, I'm not holding anything back. And you can imagine if we were to, you know, go onto that bridge behind me, it's, it's a commitment. I'm, I'm leaving the solid ground, as Brother Phil mentioned. Um, and I've been on some of those canoe rides with him. And, and you, you, you step on there and either that bridge holds or it doesn't. But, you know, you're committed. And we have to come to that level of commitment with our Lord that it's, an irreversible, uh, a love that is not qualified, not um, second to anything else. So let's talk, read the words of Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't say, commit to me. He said things more like, follow me. But what, did, what, what degree, let's, let's read together in Luke 14, about how Jesus described the set of priorities, the degree of commitment that we need to have as we follow him. So we start in verse 25. We start with great multitudes. We have great multitude here, relatively speaking. And there went great multitudes with him. And he turned to them and said, I'm so glad you're all here. Let's have a party. He, he, he didn't kind of bank on that. He kind of sifted and tested this multitude. It wasn't enough that they kind of gathered there and, and showed some sort of support. He said, if, verse 26, if any man come to me, hard verse here, if any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And he gives two illustrations here. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. Or, what king, second illustration, going to make war with another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000, or else while the other is a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, desireth conditions of peace. Now, he draws his conclusion. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. See, that's, that's commitment, right? You, you, you start a war, you can't just say, oops, my bad, right? Now they're coming, you are either going to be dead or you're going to be subservient. Once you're in, you're in. It's not reversible. But Jesus, 
aren't these words harsh? I mean, the Scripture tells us to love our wife. The Scripture tells us if we don't provide for our family, we're worse than an infidel. How can you say these things? What do you mean by them? I find it's always best to understand Scripture with Scripture rather than our own ideas. And uh, let's turn to Jesus on another occasion. You might remember this. Uh, His mother and his brothers are coming to meet him. It's found in Matthew 12, verse 46 to 48. And um, while he yet talked with the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. Then one saith unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee. Seems natural, right? Blood relation should take priority here. But he answereth and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold my brethren, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. The love of many shall wax cold. We know that Jesus boiled down the whole Bible to two things, right? All the commandments hang on two, on one, actually, love. And the one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with all your soul. Love him with everything. Put him first. And we see Jesus kind of expanding here with when he gets into important relationships, relationships that are biblical, valuable, priority relationships, but says, but they are not number one. I am number one. You need to love the Lord your God without compromise. You see, the first man, he didn't love God enough. When his beloved wife, who he treasured, came to him with that apple, he wasn't deceived. Eve was deceived. Satan was able to fool her into thinking this was a good idea. Adam knew. God had told him. He knew exactly what God told him. But he decided he'd rather be with his wife in sin. And we have been making compromises for the sake of the things that are important to us, people that are important to us ever since. The second, and we're going to get back to that. The second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? That question was asked. It was answered It's really everyone that your path crosses. But Scripture tells us to to love, to to do good to all men, just like the Good Samaritan did, but especially the household of faith. And here we see Jesus prioritizing his disciples over his flesh and blood mother and his flesh and blood brothers and sisters. They're that important to him. Those 
do the will of my Father which is in heaven. Do you love your brothers and sisters? Or has your love for God as shown in your commitment to holiness, to purity, to what you allow to enter those eye gates and ear gates and in, into your life, has that been compromised? Do you love your brother and sister? How committed are you to your brother and sister? We're going to have a forum on that uh, later on this week about being committed to our local fellowship. Sometimes people try to say, oh, okay, I, I, I got the first one. I love God, and um, I love his body. You know, the, the universal body of Christ that we all belong to. And um, I'm committed to being a part of that body. But, you know, I'm not feeling fed here. I, there, I feel that there's some things wrong with this local fellowship. I feel that maybe I would grow more if I went over there. Um, I feel I get just as much out of being at home. You know, there's so much good material available nowadays. You know, have you ever, I did the study recently, have you ever gone through the New Testament? I encourage you to do it and look through all the verses that talk about one another. There is so many, some 40, 50 odd, I think it's 49, verses that talk about what we should do with one another. How, of course, the first one, the one with the most, is love one another. But then he breaks it down, how we need to exhort one another, to uh, you know, encourage one another, to admonish one another. To, and then there is you know, honor. And there, there's so many different aspects that love takes. And it's not something you can do with the universal, nebulous body of Christ. It has to be done with, with a person that you are committed to. That you know, that knows you, that you're accountable to, that, that is accountable to you, that, that is, has a messy life that you need to help through and that will help you through the mess in your life. This has to be done with the tangible body of Christ, just like love in a marriage needs to be through for better or for worse, for sickness and health. We also need to have that level of commitment to each other. As we were going through COVID, I read a book that I just thought was really relevant. Situation we're in. Lessons to be learned. Lessons to be learned about others that have gone through, maybe not COVID, maybe that wasn't the excuse, but they went through communism, Czechoslovakia. And, you know, they, they kind of saw it coming. They saw the Iron Curtain was about to fall, and they prepared themselves for that time. And they uh, made sure that they were not going to be, because every time, and this is, you know, this is a pattern. Satan's used it in multiple places. He used it in communist Russia, he uses it, communist China, he uses it, you know, 
wherever he wants to suppress the truth. He, he doesn't say, there is hereby, uh, you know, no more church. We have no freedom of religion under Russia. No, 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 no. He says, there's freedom of religion in Russia. No problem. We have churches, but, you know, they have to register with the government, right? We need to make sure that, you know, they're doing things right. And then, of course, we have to know exactly what they're saying. And there's some things they can't say, and there's some things they can't do. And, okay, they cannot baptize anyone uh, under whatever, 50 years old. They can't evangelize. They can't preach the gospel, and so on and so on. The same thing in China with the three self-patriotic movement, you know, is being controlled. And there's things you cannot say. And... You know, we're getting there here in this country where the visible church will be controlled. We saw we were controlled to some degree as a public health crisis. We had to close doors. But that, should that close fellowship? Should that end worship? Should that end us feeding each other with the living word of God? Should that end the connections in our body? Are we ready for when it comes again? And don't kid yourself. This was a dress rehearsal. I don't know what format. I'm not, you know, subscribing to any particular, um, you know, theory about what's happening next. But I know who I'm working with. I'm fighting against the evil one. And I've read the book. The book says that he's going to persecute the believers wherever he finds them. He is going to go after them. He's going to try to control them. He's going to use things like economic control that you can't buy or sell. He's going to, to you know, get people and pressure them to recant, even under the threat of death. These things are spelled out in the Scripture. Now, the same scripture that talks about that, it, it doesn't spell out your, your strategy, how to, how to deal with the coming economic control. Okay, now you've got to get into cryptocurrency, or you've got to prep and have a, a basement, or you've got to get, you know, it doesn't give those specific strategies for how you're going to deal with the coming uh, control. And of course, all of those have their weaknesses. What he does say is the same thing we read here together. You know, in the same passage in Revelations 13, where he talks about these things, he says, in their patience, they will possess their souls. And here we read, he that endureth to the end shall be saved. It's going to take commitments It's going to take endurance. It's going to take being able to hang on through the tough ride we've got ahead of us, brothers and sisters, and we need to do it together. We need to prepare ourselves now. This is not a time to take it easy, to say, COVID's over, now we can relax, and we've got all these great options now using technology. Isn't that wonderful? No, we need to be diligent in building the relationships that are going to help us to endure the coming storm. We need to get organized. 
You need to find a close-knit group of brothers and sisters where you can meet in the home, where you know the combination or where the house key is, where you do have the honesty, as we sang about last night, where you can confess your faults to one another and be find healing and be forgiven. You have to be have someone where you can be that honest with and who's willing to be honest with you. You need to find someone that will help you to grow, that will mentor you, and you need to find someone to help grow. Because this is not going to, we're not going to have these buildings. It's happened once. We know it's in his playbook. The buildings are not essential. This is not church. We are the church. Is the church healthy? Is the church committed to each other? Is the church willing to make sacrifices to make that work? There was a persecution in the past. There is persecution today. We may sometimes not, it's not reported, maybe on Fox News or whatever, but there are one in seven in the world that are suffering real harsh persecution. One in five, if you talk about Africa. Two in five, if you talk about China. Last year, some 6,000 were killed for their faith. 2,100 churches were attacked, some burned to the ground, uh, some bombs exploding, uh, 4,500 detained. This, is, this isn't ancient history. I mean, we've had that. You know, we can talk. There's less and less people that we know that have physically gone through that, but it wasn't that long ago. I mean, Brother Zoran Lislov is here t- today, and he went through this in the early 90s the persecution of having been detained for his faith. But it is happening. But what can we learn from that? Because my concern, brothers and sisters, is if we let the love of many wax cold, what's happening is going to continue to happen. What's happening? Our membership peaked in 1992. 1992. It's been going down since. The number of churches that we have is going down from nearly 60 to almost 40. We know there's a church in Florida. If God doesn't provide a miracle, and maybe you'll be that miracle, we'll be closing its doors this year. We know there's many other churches that are hanging by a thread. And it's not just us. This isn't an ACC problem. Christianity in North America is going down. If you look at the trends, in the 1970s, even the 1990s, there was 90% in America that uh, said they were affiliated with Christianity. And uh, only, you know, maybe, I don't know, forget the exact number, that were nuns, but it's, it's converging. And uh, now it's only 62% from 90. And if these trends continue, and they are accelerating, so if you don't do anything different, right, those numbers are going to transpose where the nuns will exceed those who claim Christ. So it's not an ACC problem only. It's a North America problem. But Christianity worldwide is not, is still growing. 
in these persecuted places, their faith is still growing. Where they don't have the freedom to find a Bible and read, they're hungry for it. They memorize chapters of the Scripture. Where they are persecuted, where they have to take a 13-hour train ride and risk going to prison for 20 years, meetings are full. Here, where I may have to take a half-hour air-conditioned car ride and risk traffic, the benches are empty. What does that say about commitment levels? What does it say about priorities? What is it that we're not hating? And I'm not saying it's all about being in the building. I think I I made that clear. A brother back home challenged us with a question, and it's still ringing in my mind. He asked, why is it that we are only the body of Christ for a few hours on Sunday and not for the rest of the week? And that question still challenges me. That Christianity will not survive. And if we are going to follow the American church, which is following the world all at a distance, all at a respectable, I'm not as bad as they are, we're going to go off the same cliff. And that's where it's going. So business as usual is death. The love of many is waxing cold. The end is coming. Are you going to be part of that? Just because the love of many waxes cold doesn't mean your love has to wax cold. That's your decision. You can make a commitment. I remember Brother Mike Bauman used to have, um, he had a neighbor or someone he knew that was a survivor of the Titanic. And he... uh, talked about many lessons that he learned from that, uh, you know, about, you know, those who try to drag their suitcase with them and, and those who, uh, you know, whatever. But the one lesson I want to, to, to bring out is there are those who were in the lifeboats but weren't safe. There's many who didn't get on the lifeboats, there wasn't enough lifeboats, so on, you know, Titanic-level hubris and so on. This God can't sink the ship, but there were those who got on the lifeboat, but they needed to pull away from that ship because that ship was going down and it was going to suck everything around it on that surface down with it. We need to pull away from the world, from the world's entertainment, from the world's even education in the sense that you need to be aware, if you're not aware, that education is a form of indoctrination today, you are naive. If you don't see there's an agenda to indoctrinate the impressionable youth, the song that was sung in that clip in uh, San Diego, San, you know, San Francisco, you know, we're coming for your children. We see it. Maybe we don't want to. We need to take action to, to preserve the next generation. Whatever it is, I'm not spelling it out for you, but it's going to take commitment. It's going to take commitment. We need to pull away from this world 
in its entertainment, because if you haven't clued in, they're coming for your children. Disney Channel is not a safe, family-friendly channel that you can just put your kid in front of. It is a form of indoctrination. It is teaching anti-God ideas and fluid sexuality and everything else is being taught there. We can't just, ah, good production values. I don't really care about the message. We're not immune. Don't be so close to the world. Pull away. Instead, let's pull together. Let's be committed. Let's commit to the Lord, first of all, because without that, there's no hope. And let's commit to each other. Let's form intentional communities that show that kind of love this world doesn't have. Because that's what's missing. These people are hungry. They are lost, as we heard this morning. They are broken. And they are lonely and anxious and are missing the truth. And, and, and your words may not get through to them, but your love, they can't fail to notice. So in these intentional communities where you commit to each other, I, I really appreciate you know, having gone to Paraguay, and, and lately I've been uh, speaking with them on a regular basis, learning from them. Their model is that every home is an extension of the church, and every believer is its representative, is its ambassador. Our homes, they'll take the church building, they'll take our tax-free status. Who knows? I might lose my job for what I said tonight because according to the terms that I signed, in you know, this is whatever, abuse, and so on. We are going to lose stuff. We are going to lose the favored or whatever tolerated status that we have. But let's use what we do have, our own family circles, our homes. Let's invite each other into those homes. We used to. It used to be part of the ACC culture. It used to be, you know, I would go to, to Kitchener Church and they'd fight over me. You know, like, who's, who's going to be? No, 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 I asked them first, you know. And, and then, you know, you know, you know, I find that culture has changed. You've got to call and make arrangements. You know, people are busy. They've got other things they're doing, Right. I went to visit Sister Julie out in Regina, and she told me, you know, in her unconverted youth, how, you know, and I know my mom the same thing. Saturday, you just get ready. You don't know who's coming, but you're going to grab them, right? First come, first serve, and you're going to bring them over to your place where you clean the place up and you prepared it because that's how we express love and commitment to each other. And let's not just leave it with us. What did he say? He says, do good to all men. What about your neighbor? What about the other people in the street? Can they join your circle when they see you loving and worshiping God and doing life together in this intimate fashion? You think they can resist that? You think they got anything that compares with that? Oh, I want to go home and watch Netflix. Compared to that, this is real. And we have the power. It's the love of God in you. But we need to get off the couch we need to commit to the Lord and to each other and to make 
our body alive and let it draw all men to him as we lift him up. May the Lord bless his word. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Our Father in heaven, how can we come before a holy God except for your mercy? We are so thankful, Lord, that you are described as being on, that we approach the throne of grace. And without that, where would we be? And so as we come before you to acknowledge our sin and our guilt, where we've failed and missed the mark, to truly love you with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, where we have missed the mark in terms of expressing that love and commitment to you in sacrificial ways and to one another. And as we have been reminded and exhorted and admonished this evening, we pray, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit would continue to do that work in our hearts where we have missed the mark. But we pray, Heavenly Father, that we not stay there in only regret and remain unchanged. And so as we repent, we pray, Lord, for transformation, that our heart be renewed and revived to see your glory and all that you have to share with us, that we might wouldn't continue to be enthralled by lesser things, by things that are worthless in the end, that yet captivate our attention so easily. And some of those things were even distractions among us tonight. We pray, Lord, for forgiveness for that. Pray that we can be focused on our identity in Christ and our calling that you have for us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you revive us, revive our love for you, revive our love one for another, revive our commitment in sacrificial service for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the building up of the body of believers, for the sake of the gospel in bringing others to the good news and the good news to others. We pray, Heavenly Father, for the power of your Holy Spirit to work among us. We pray, Lord, that you would continue among us as we sing songs of worship and praise, that our hearts indeed would be in tune with praising your name in a manner that you are only worthy of, and pray for your blessing upon the Inspiration Hour and each one that will participate in that and each one of us, that we may not merely be spectators, but that we worship in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.